You are listening to the teaching and preaching of Dr. Warren Wearsby. This message was recorded while he served as pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky, or the Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois. For additional resources, please visit 2ProfitU.com. That's the number two, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-U.com. And now, Dr. Warren Wearsby. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29. And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all who were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ephbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made an idol. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Chapter 21 of 1 Kings. Verse 25. But there was none like unto Ahab who did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols according to all things as did the Amorites whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Many people think they have really arrived when their name shows up in the encyclopedia or who's who, but actually you have not really arrived until your name gets into the dictionary. There are some people whose names are in the dictionary because of uh, either the good things they've done or the bad things they've done. For example, um, the other day a gentleman picked me up to take me to a dinner engagement and he picked me up in a beautiful little automobile with a diesel motor. And, of course, Rudolf Diesel was a great German inventor, and his name is in the dictionary, not just the encyclopedia, but the dictionary, because of his invention. Some of you people are interested in ballet. I'm not particularly, but some people are. I heard about a woman who took her husband to see a ballet, and he watched it for a half an hour and turned to her and said, why don't they just hire taller women? But if you're not interested in ballet, you might be interested in gymnastics or acrobatics, and you see people wearing leotards. The leotard was invented by Jules Leotard, who himself was an acrobat, and he got his name into the dictionary. And of course, the next time you eat a sandwich, that's from the Earl of Sandwich, John Montague, the Earl of Sandwich, who, in a genius stroke of inspiration, decided to put a piece of meat between two pieces of bread. Now, I think the reason was he was tired of doing the dishes. 
but he invented the sandwich, and there it is in the dictionary. Now, some people have their names in the dictionary because they are evil. Some of us can remember during World War II a fellow whose name was Quisling. Do you remember him? He got his name in the dictionary. It's a synonym for being a traitor, just like Judas. A Judas in the dictionary, that's a traitor, someone who stabs you in the back. The uh, name Don Juan is in the dictionary. No man ever wants to be called that. But Jezebel is in the dictionary, not just the encyclopedia. If there were a who's who of evil women, she would be in that. But she got her name into the dictionary because to be called a Jezebel is to be insulted as you've never been insulted before unless it's true, and then if it's true, you've been convicted as you've never been convicted before. Because Jezebel stands for evil, high-handed, arrogant evil. Jezebel stands for the woman who makes her husband into a puppet, and she pulls the strings. Jezebel's the woman who ruined her husband. Now, tonight we want to uh, make a threefold examination of Jezebel. First of all, we want to examine her history. Many of us have forgotten our Bible history, and I want all these pieces to fall together so you can really remember how evil she was. Then after we examine her history, we want to examine her heart. What made her act the way she acted? Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. As he thinketh in his heart, so he is. Then finally, our last examination will be to examine her heritage. What did she leave behind? You say, I don't have to worry about that. I won't leave anything behind. Oh, yes, you will. Oh, yes, you will. Every one of us is going to leave some heritage behind, either for good or for evil. We begin with examining her history, and this takes us to 1 Kings chapter 16. I'll not go into detail, but the year is about 874 B.C., and Ahab has become the king of Israel. Now, you'll remember that Israel and Judah had split, that Solomon had been wicked, and after the death of Solomon, you have Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and God rent the nation. And the ten tribes of the north became Israel, and the two tribes of the south became Judah. And Ahab is now the king of Israel. And you'd think that he would do what kings ought to do. The book of Deuteronomy tells kings what to do. Long before Israel ever had a king, Moses wrote down in the book of Deuteronomy, and he said, now every king that sits on the throne shall take this law and write out his own copy. Don't go to the Bible bookstore and buy a copy of it, but write out your own copy. And you study that law, and you know that law, and you be careful what you do. Don't be running down to Egypt to get a lot of horses, and don't be running out to get a lot of money. And, of course, God had said to all of the Jewish people, don't you break down the fences that I have put up and marry these ungodly women. That was the beginning of Solomon's downfall. He married these outlandish women. Now, outlandish means they came from outside the land. That's right. Today, we refer that to the hats that women wear. 
Ahab is now the king. And in order to bind his nation together with his neighbors, he marries the princess from the Sidonian court. Now, her father was a treacherous, evil man. His name is F. Baal. The name Baal is right in there. He murdered several people to get on the throne. Profane history tells us this. And so she came from that kind of a household, and Ahab did something that no Jewish king was ever supposed to do. He married outside of his faith. Of course, the tragedy was Ahab had no faith. His faith was not in the Lord. Well, God began to speak. God said, Ahab, you can't do that. I'm going to spank you. And for three and a half years, there's drought in the land. One day, the prophet Elijah shows up in the king's court. <laughs> he wasn't invited to a tea party. He wasn't there for a special meeting. He just walked in. And he said, As the Lord God liveth before whom I stand, there shall neither be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And off he went. And Ahab said, Get that man. They couldn't get him. And God hid Elijah, and God took care of Elijah. But Jezebel and Ahab watched their land turn into concrete. They watched the great fissures open up in the land. They heard the children crying for food. They saw the animals out in the pasture looking for something to eat. You'd think they would repent. They didn't. And Elijah shows up again. He says, hey, I'm back. I want you to meet me on Mount Carmel. And so they met. And Jezebel, who supported Baal worship, got all the priests of Baal, and they went through their gyrations and their orgies, and they cut themselves, and they screamed, and you remember nothing happened. Then Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord, and he drenched the sacrifice with precious water. Then he just simply prayed one prayer, and fire came down from heaven and, and, and completely consumed the sacrifice. And you would have thought, that Ahab and Jezebel would have looked at each other and said, look, he's the true God. Let's turn away. But they didn't. Then Elijah said, the rain's going to come. And boy, it came. And Jezebel said to Elijah, sent a message to him and said, you killed my priests of Baal. I'm going to kill you. And he took off. Well, while he was off on this little journey, God spoke to Elijah and said, Elijah, I want you to go anoint Jehu to be the king of Israel. But Lord Ahab's the king of Israel. Just hold on. One of these days, Jehu's going to be the king of Israel. You know what God did for Ahab? God gave Ahab victory after victory over the enemy. He should have been defeated, but God in his grace gave Ahab victory over the enemy. Then one day, Ahab looked out his window and he saw a fellow named Naboth taking care of his vineyard. And Naboth's vineyard was adjacent to uh, his palace there in Jezreel. And Ahab went out and said to Naboth, I want to buy your vineyard off of you. I want to make it into a garden of herbs. And Naboth said, oh, king, we Jews can't do that. No, it's against the law for us to do that. We should not sell our property like that. You know what Ahab did? He pouted. Grown-up man. He came in, and the Bible tells us how he went to bed. And he turned his face to the wall. 
And he stuck out his lower lip and he pouted. And Jezebel, who never pouted, came in and said, What's the matter with you? He said, He won't sell me his land. Jezebel said, Aren't you the king in Israel? Now, the answer to that would have been, No, you are. <laughs> and she had the king's seal. And so she wrote some letters and said to the people, Naboth uh, is a sinner. Let's uh, set some wicked men over him to testify against him and kill him. Put the seal on it. That's what happened. They came and arrested Naboth, and they lied about him, and they stoned him. And then Ahab went and took possession of his property after the man was dead. And guess who showed up? The prophet of God shows up. And he says to him, Ahab says to him, to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O my enemy? Foolish man, Elijah wasn't his enemy, he was his friend. He wanted to help him. Elijah delivered that uh, pronouncement in, second, in 1 Kings chapter 21. He said, I'm going to wipe out your house, Ahab. Everybody who belongs to your family is going to be cut off, and the dogs are going to eat, are going to eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Ahab did a very stupid thing. He went out into a battle to fight, and he disguised himself, but God saw him. And, and one of the soldiers, just an ordinary soldier, decided to shoot somebody. He hadn't met his quota that day. And so he just, the Bible says, at a chance, he just drew his, bing, and he hit the king. He didn't know it was the king. And the king dies. Jehu takes over. I'm summarizing all of this, skipping a number of items, of course, but Jehu then takes over. You remember Jehu in the Bible? Some of you folks belong to his clan. He driveth furiously. <laughs> Jehu got into his chariot, and he really had a chariot. He, he took off, and he finds the king of Israel and the king of Judah, and he kills them both. He brings the judgment of God down upon them. He finds the descendants of Ahab, and he wipes them out. That bothers some people. Some of the people read that and say, well, what kind of a God do we have who does that? He's a God of judgment. He's a God who gave them year after year after year, evidence after evidence, proof after proof, chance after chance, and they said, we don't want you. And so judgment came. Then he shows up where... Uh, Jezebel is. This is one of the dramatic scenes in the Bible. I remember teaching this when I was teaching junior boys in Sunday school, and boy, they listened as though it were something from TV. Jehu comes riding into the palace, and Jezebel knew he was coming, and the Scripture says she painted her eyes, fixed up her face. By now she was an older woman, probably needed all the help she could get. <laughs> fixed her hairdo, she wanted to be as seductive as possible. And then she looked out the window and said to him, 2 Kings chapter 9, And as Jehu entered in at the gate, she said, referring to a previous execution, Had Zimri peace who slew his master? And Jehu lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? And there looked out at him two or three eunuchs. These were servants in the palace. 
And he said, throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he trod her underfoot. This is not a beautiful scene, but sin is never beautiful. And he just rode over her. And when he was come in, he did eat and drink and said, Go see now this cursed woman and bury her, for she's a king's daughter. And they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Wherefore they came again and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the carcass of Jezebel shall be as refuse upon the face of the field in the portion of Jezreel, so that they shall not say, This is Jezebel. Nothing to bury, no monument over her grave. And that ends the story of Jezebel. Ultimately, Joash comes on the scene and God sends blessing. Now, that's the history. Not a very beautiful history. We've examined her history. Now let's examine her heart because the heart makes the history. What we are comes from within, what we love. Out of the abundance of the heart we speak and out of the abundance of the heart we live. Back when I was in Youth for Christ many years ago, I remember hearing Dr. Ted Engstrom make the statement, and I've quoted it a number of times, I believe it's true, the heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. And so we're going to examine quickly Jezebel's heart. What kind of a heart did she have? Well, number one, she had an idolatrous heart. She had a heart that believed a lie. Now, I hear people say, it makes no difference what you believe as long as you live right. Dear friend, what you believe determines how you behave. Now, she believed in Baal. I will not stand here tonight and describe for you how utterly wicked was the worship of Baal. They had male deity and female deity. It was a fertility cult. If you are interested in knowing how unspeakably wicked was the worship of Baal, a modern novel is out, a Christian novel, a religious novel, written by a man who has done a great deal of research into the subject. It's called The Mantle. Now, don't read it before you go to bed at night. You won't sleep. But he describes in there what they did when they worshipped Baal. They had temple prostitutes, men and women. And this was a part of their worship. And the worship of Baal was the worship of a lie, and the worship of Baal was the attempt to sanctify prostitution fornication, sodomy, and every kind of sensual sin. And this was her religion. She believed a lie. She had an idolatrous heart. She worshipped a lie. Millions of people in the world today who believe lies and who worship lies. Jesus said, I am the truth. The person doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. He's believing a lie. 
Secondly, her heart was a very proud heart. From the very beginning, you meet a woman who is very proud. Now, Jezebel was wicked and strong. Ahab was wicked and weak. And when you get a man who's wicked and weak married to a woman who's wicked and strong, there can be only one result. That strong wife gets a hold of that weak husband and she ran everything through him, his name, her plans. A very proud heart. Pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And in her pride, she lived only for herself. Aren't you the king of Israel? If you want that property, take it. But lots of people live like this. Most of the people in the world, their philosophy is dog eat dog and the devil take the hindmost. Get what you can get, climb up the ladder. If you've got to walk on people's faces to do it, do it. But you get there. Very proud heart. She had a deceitful heart. She was a liar. Now, if you believe lies, you tell lies. She lied about Naboth. She sent a message out that said, find a couple of false witnesses and declare that Naboth has profaned the Lord and blasphemed the Lord and stone him. She lied. She used the law of the land to perpetrate a murder. She was a liar and a murderer. Somebody else in the Bible is a liar and a murderer. Satan. Jesus said, ye are of your father the devil. He is a liar and he's a murderer. And he is. She had a very deceitful heart. She tried to kill God's prophets. She did kill some of them. But she supported 450 prophets on state funds because she believed in Baal. And so she supported 450 prophets of Baal. She had a deceitful heart and she had a murderous heart. But there are many people in the world today who have deceitful hearts and murderous hearts. Somebody might be here tonight like that. She had an unrepentant heart. Now, dear friend, if you had seen three and a half years of drought, if you had seen fire come down from heaven, if you had seen God's prophet miraculously preserved through all of this trouble, if you had seen God defeat the enemy two or three times, if you had seen the miracles that God had done, if you had seen your own husband judged by the hand of God fulfilling the word of God, you would have fallen on your face and said, Oh, Lord, I am a wicked sinner. Save me. She didn't do it. To the best of my knowledge, uh, the only other reference we have to Jezebel in the New Testament is in uh, Revelation chapter 2. Jezebel is named 23 times in the Bible. And one of these is in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 21, verse 20. The Lord is speaking to the church at Thyatira and says this, I have a few things against thee because thou allowest that woman Jezebel. Now, this isn't the Jezebel of the Old Testament, obviously. Here's a woman in a New Testament church, but she's of such a character, God calls her Jezebel, who calleth herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication to eat things sacrificed to idols. That's what Jezebel's religion was. That's what Baal worship was. Fornication, idolatry. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. 
She had an unrepentant heart, and God uses that in the New Testament to warn us. We've examined her heart, but before I move on, let me remind you. Now, you may disagree with this perfectly all right, but let me remind you that everything that was in Jezebel's heart is potentially in your heart and mine. Jeremiah the prophet says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And someone sitting here tonight says, Well, now, I'm a Bible school student, or I'm a medical student, or, or, or I'm, I'm a, I've been a Christian for 15 years. These things would never happen to me. How do you know? How do you know? My heart and your heart are potentially capable of any sin in the books. It's only by the grace of God, through the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, that ever we can live the kind of a life God wants us to live. You know, it's no wonder God judged Jezebel the way he did, because everything she did he hated. Before we move on to our third examination, let me read you some things that God hates. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. These things doth the Lord hate, but God's a God of love. Ah, but if you love some things, you've got to hate other things. Ye that love the Lord hate iniquity. What does the Lord hate? Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look. Oh, Jezebel had a proud look. She painted herself up to have a proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that are swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. He that soweth discord among brethren. She was guilty of each of those seven sins, and God hated them. Do we think that our God up in heaven just closes his eyes and says, I'll pretend like I didn't see that? All things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And even Christians today think that there are places God can't see and deeds that God cannot reckon, and they're wrong. Keep thy heart with all diligence. Out of it are the issues of life. Focus your heart on the love of God and the truth of God. Finally, let's examine her heritage. All of us leave something behind. What did she leave behind? Well, the only thing I can think of is tragedy. Now, once again, someone says, Pastor, why are you preaching this to a group of people predominantly saved? It can't happen to us. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. All across this land there are evangelical casualties. There are people whose names used to be associated with holiness and godliness and separation from sin today. There are Christians who once stood before God and were joined in marriage and made promises to each other today. What kind of a heritage did she leave behind? First, the tragedy of a wasted opportunity. Oh, what an opportunity she had. 
Imagine being the queen of the land with Elijah the prophet. Elisha the prophet. Imagine. Why, when their honeymoon was over, Jezebel and Ahab should have come back to their palace and said, let's call Elijah in. We want to get started right. We have been given the responsibility of leading this nation. All of the kings before us have been so wicked, and God has judged the nation for that reason. Let's get started right. Someone has said the one thing that we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. That's true. How many newly married couples have ever said, uh, you know, it's possible that sin can come into our home and sin can wreck our home. Therefore, let's find out what God wants us to do and let's do it. No. No, the average couple thinks that because the preacher married them and somebody sang and somebody played and they have a document to prove it all, that it's all going to work out. Oh, my friend, there is an enemy who's out to wreck things. The tragedy of a wasted opportunity. The opportunity of hearing Elijah, of hearing Elisha, of seeing God's power at work. Instead of bringing down showers of blessing upon their nation, they brought down drought, death. The tragedy of um, killing herself and her family. Now hear me. This woman murdered her own husband. She was a takeover kind of a person, a take charge kind of a person. And when she got into the palace, she said, now look, Ahab, you're kind of a weakling in some of these areas. Let me take over. And she did. Nothing wrong with a capable wife helping her husband. The trouble was she was controlling him that she might be able to control the land. And she killed him. Oh, not with her own hands. But she led him so into sin. She said, I will get that property for you. How foolish. Here is the king. He has all the property he needs, and yet he wants this one little piece over here. I want a garden of herbs. I'll get it for you. When she got it for him, it was a burial ground. Elijah met him on that property and said, Ahab, you've gone too far. You're a dead man. Oh, they'll never get me, says Ahab. I'll disguise myself. But you can't disguise yourself from the arrows of God. When God has a marksman and God guides that marksman, be sure your sin will find you out. And she killed her own husband through her selfishness and her idolatry. She killed her children. One of her daughters married the king of Judah and spread the poison of Baal into Judah. In fact, she was a murderess too. It was one of the descendants of uh, Jezebel who murdered all the royal seed and only one little baby boy was hidden to maintain that line of the Messiah. Her family was killed. You know, the greatest privilege we have as parents is to bequeath to our children the spiritual blessings of life to teach them the Word of God, to teach them to walk with God and witness for God and worship God and work for God. That's a great privilege. 
It's a great joy to see a family grow and to give them the heritage of abundant life, loving God's Word and praying and living to please Him. It's the greatest joy. I would rather leave to my family a heritage of spiritual blessing than leave them the hope diamond or all the treasures of King Tut's tomb. She killed her family. She killed herself. She ends up in a shameful death. And her body lies there, and the dogs come and eat her flesh. And all that's left behind is the skull where that little brain had worked to scheme and plot against God. The palms of the hands, her hands had worked to kill others. Her feet that had run to shed blood, it's all that's left. And she's gone. And she leaves behind a heritage of death and treachery and deceit and judgment. She wrecked her home and she wrecked her land. They didn't put any stone over her grave, but if they had, if they had, this is what should be on it. Jezebel. You know what Jezebel means? in the Hebrew language. You won't believe this. You know what Jezebel means? Chaste, pure, faithful. If you know anybody whose name is Isabel, that's the modern English version. Chaste. It's a beautiful name. She wrecked it. Judah was a great name until Judas got a hold of it. Jezebel was a great name until this witch got a hold of it. So here's her tombstone, Jezebel. Be sure your sins will find you out. And they will. Gracious Father, how thankful we are that through Jesus Christ we can be saved. That through Jesus Christ we can not only have a home in heaven, but we can have heaven in our home. Thank you that through Jesus Christ we can have a life that is worth living. We don't have to be liars. We have the truth. We don't have to be murderers. We have life. We don't have to be idolaters. We know the true and living God. We don't have to stoop to the base things of this world because we've been lifted to be seated in the heavenlies. Oh, gracious Father, teach us tonight the horror of being possessed by sin. Ahab sold himself to do evil. Dear Lord, may we not come under the spell of anyone. Rather, may we come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Father, may it be that when we touch somebody's life, that person will be better for it. May we not be the kind of people, O oh God, that dirty the conscience, that pollute the mind, that seduce the heart, that defile the body. 
that lead anyone off on a detour. May we be the kind of people who, when we touch the lives of others, they are the cleaner and the better and the stronger and the happier and the holier. Apply this word to our hearts tonight. I ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. All of Dr. Warren Wearsby's material is owned and managed by Script Text. The material contained in this podcast is copyrighted and is for personal use only, not to be duplicated or sold without prior written consent from Script Text.